Dr. King is famously known for saying, I am not interested in power for power's sake, but I'm interested in power that is moral, that is right, and that is good. Dr. King's concept of somebodiness gave black and poor people a new sense of worth and dignity. His philosophy of nonviolent direct action and his strategies for rational and non-destructive social change galvanized the conscience of this nation and reordered its priorities. The Voting Rights Act of 1965, for example, went to Congress as a result of the Selma to Montgomery march. His wisdom, his words, his action, his commitment, and his dreams for a new cast of life are intertwined with the American experience. Dr. King's speech at the March on Washington on August 28, 1963, was the capstone of King's message. If you listen closely to King's speeches prior to the smoldering hot day in August, you can hear this vision galvanizing in his language and coming to full fruition on the steps of the Washington Monument. It is incredibly important that we understand today, as we wrap this series up, that Preacher King's vision was and is a vision grounded in the Holy Scriptures, and we are the plan. Did you catch that new hope? The vision came from the Word of God through this servant vessel officially named Martin Luther King Jr. But the vision is a biblical vision, and God's church is the plan. The Bible calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. So you hear this a lot in these days. We need racial reconciliation. To say racial reconciliation is to imply that white and black people had a perfect coexistence together sometime way back when. That is not a fair description of what we are trying to do in America. Our goal is to truly bring us all together, quite possibly for the very first time. You see, this is the dream that King said was rooted in the American dream. The dream, I would add, is rooted in a biblical dream. This is what the dream was getting at when the preacher King started on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And this is the very dream to which we continue to strive as we continue to live out the biblical vision of what it looks like to be a church that represents all of God's diversity and all of God's created order on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to New Hope Church. Welcome to this message series that we are in titled The Preacher King. And today I have the unbelievable privilege of standing in the pulpit of Dexter Avenue King Memorial Church where the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached the word of God. And I'm just so grateful to be here. We want to welcome you at all of our campus locations. We are one church in many locations, and we are delighted to bring all of this back to you. Can I get an amen, New Hope? Amen. 
Let them know, let them know, let them know. They are here with us. We're going to bring closure to this Preacher King series today by actually listening to the words that King delivered in Washington when it culminated, if you will, in the famous I Have a Dream speech. He goes into this part about cashing a check. He, he often would speak like this, not just at this one speech. He, he would come back to this time and time again. He says, in a sense, we've come to the nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of the Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, all men, black men, as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are guaranteed these rights. Preacher King would continue, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vault of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come. We've come to cash the check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We've also come, King would say, to this hallowed spot to remind America of the, and I love this, of the fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. No, no, no. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Everybody say, now is the time. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Everybody say, now is the time. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. The number one way, I'm jumping off to me for just a moment, the number one way in which Satan has always, always lured the church into complacency is when he causes us to lose our sense of urgency. What King would say is the urgency of when? Now. The urgency of now. Satan defeats the church 
when we grow complacent, when we grow comfortable with status quo, he feeds us in the words of King, the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Edmund Burke once said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Did you hear me? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men, good women, good Christians to do nothing. King himself would ring a similar bell when he said this, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. You'll see that on your screens. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that really matter. Back to Dr. King, it would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. And there will neither be rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship and his rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. Mm. But there is something else that I must say to my people today, Dr. King would say who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, listen closely, church. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high planes of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, this is King, classic King, again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force, with soul force, classic king. Why? Because king modeled his ministry and his life upon the king of kings. King modeled his life and ministry upon the one who could have done away with it all at any point in time, but instead went willingly to the cross to die for you and me. He was the one who taught us, listen, if somebody slaps you on one side of the cheek, you turn to them the other. I would dare say to you today that if Dr. King didn't embody and exude and practice a nonviolent witness to the kingdom of heaven on earth, we would not be sitting here today talking to him. I'm just going to tell you, I, I would not be the fan 
that I am. And there were a lot of leaders during those days, a lot of leaders that would actually go about doing this in a different kind of way. And allow me just to step maybe into a little area that, that might cause a little controversy. But even as I look at the black power movement, or I look at black pantherism, or even as I've studied the history of Malcolm X and others in that time, listen, this is what set Dr. King apart from everyone else. He did not embody the resentment and the bitterness and the hatred that you saw in many others. In fact, the, the sad thing about the fact that Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, they assassinated a man who was telling his people, the African-American people, how to rightfully love their enemies, i.e. the white man. Do, do you see the irony of that? They, they extinguished the candle the dream, the message of a man who was teaching the African-American community how to love them in the midst of such sin. This is what set King apart. You guys remember we did a sermon series a few months ago called Battle Ready. Y'all remember? On Ephesians 6. Remember we had Maximus on the stage. Remember Maximus? In my opinion, I would say that Dr. Martin Luther King was a modern-day Maximus in the 1950s and 60s. He lived out, remember the verses we learned? He lived out, Ephesians 6, 14 and 15, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the what? Breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from what, church? The gospel of peace. This is what set Dr. King apart, and this is why I am a fan, and this is why we are doing this series. King understood and embodied and lived out Romans 12, 18, where the word of the Lord says, if at all possible, as far as it depends on who, you live at peace with everyone. Back to Dr. King, he says, the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to the distrust of all white people. Unbelievable. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize, this is so good, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound up to our freedom. We cannot walk alone, Dr. King would say. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? King would say, we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable auras of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. 
We cannot be satisfied, he would say, as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto, hello, to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Amos 5, 24. As Dr. King would get ready to bring closure to his speech, he would say this, go back to Mississippi, go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, or as they say down there, Georgia. <laughs> Go back to Louisiana. All right. Go back to the slums and the ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. And let me just say this. You're a part of the change, New Hope. You are a part of the change. It is no coincidence that God has allowed you to become one of the most racially diverse churches, not just in the nation, but in the world. You are a part. You are a part of the change. God has placed this calling on us, this anointing on us, Esther 4.4, for such a time as this. We are called. This is who we are. And King would say, now go back, for somehow this situation can and will be changed. He's preaching now. He's, he's not falling prey to some victim mentality. King would not settle for taking on some victim mentality. He says, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. There is no victim mentality. Jesus Christ was not a victim. Jesus Christ was a victor. He went to the cross where he suffered, bled, died, and rose again for you and me. About this victim mentality, King would say elsewhere, not in this particular sermon. You'll see this on the screens as well. He would say, human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. The pinnacle of King's message would then start to unfold. He's preaching on that sweltering, hot August day. They tell us that the night before he had been reading over his notes and he just, he just wasn't satisfied yet. He wasn't content with the content. And he's in that moment and he, he, you can look at him and you can tell he's not sure exactly where he's going next. Is he going to stick with the script or is he going to follow the spirit of God? And finally a woman, a woman close to him said, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And in that moment, 
I believe a gift from heaven came down and anointed the preacher king to declare a dream over our nation, a dream that lives on today. Evil might have killed the dreamer, but the dream lives on. The dream lives on. So Preacher King would say, and so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. A dream that is deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, everybody say all men, all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims cry. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, 
this must become true. So let freedom reign from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom reign from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom reign from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom reign from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom reign from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state, in every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Thank you for being a church that would allow me to lead us through a series like this. And as a body, I cannot promise you from personal witness and testimony as a body, we've, we've shed some pounds over the last few weeks. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've, we've shed some pounds because not everybody likes when a person gets up, let alone a white man, and talks about such matters. And some of them, as they've left, have let me know. Which won't, makes me want to say to you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your encouraging comments, for your connect card comments, for your emails, for your text messages, for your encouragement. Thank you. And thank you for letting me speak to it, as I just said, as a white man. Like I said the first week and said the second week, and I realize it's tricky for a white man to stand up here and speak in the words of King. Not necessarily to speak against racism, but to speak in the words of King. And if you're a white person, by the way, we, we really, we tend to not really have an idea, a clue at how important, iconic 
Dr. King was and is. I mean, you, you got to understand this. If you went into most African-American homes in the late 50s and 60s and, and throughout 70s, and maybe some of you still today, th there were two pictures in most people's homes framed, too. Sometimes, see, they're laughing. See, 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 see. And you're like, some of you are like, what are you talking about? There, there were two pictures and sometimes three. Jesus. <laughs> who I've been calling the preacher king, and in some homes, JFK. Now, the believers, the ones who love the Lord, they, they had Jesus' picture a little higher than kings, and they should. Let me be clear. He was a mere mortal just like the man who stands before you today. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a most beautiful, faithful, diverse church. Most of you have heard me say when I started this thing 16 years ago, I had absolutely no desire to pastor a Lily White church. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirts. I wanted to pastor a church, and here's why. I wanted to pastor a church that when we stand before Almighty God one day, we faithfully reflect the beauty and the multi-ethnicity of God's people because he created us. Come on now. And you have become what I envisioned, and I'm serious, I'm serious. Most Sundays you take my breath away. At all of our campuses, it's the same way. Most Sundays, I look out, and I can't believe I get to pastor such a church. And I love you. And I'm grateful that God has anointed us. It's all a God thing. Some people show up, and they want to try to force the issue. And, and, and I'm not talking about just being willing to speak about that. I mean, we speak about it. Look, we talk about it. But at the end of the day, make no mistake about it, there are a lot of churches out there trying to do and become what you have become. And it's because God has anointed us for such a time as this. New Hope is a beacon of faith, hope, and love with a divine calling to lift high the banner of who our God is as creator and what it can look like for God's people, black man, brown man, white man, yellow man, to live together in peace and unity and love. So as I have reflected this week of bringing closure to this series. Listen closely. I don't want to bring closure to this series. We're not going to land the plane, as it were, and be done with it. No, 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 no. We're not going to tie it all up and put a nice little bow on it. No, 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 no. This is a series, like I hope most series, that should live on. This is a series that should ripple out. This is a series that should shape and transform 
the trajectory of New Hope Church and all surrounding communities. I'll say it one more time. They might have killed the dreamer, but the dream lives on. And so with your permission and not a lot of preaching in between, I want to give you my closing comments, my application for the series. Write it down if you would. Here's the first one. I'm calling you, every single one of you, I'm calling you to this. You can walk out of the door and say, forget you, pastor, or you can become a part of the movement that knows that God has called us for such a time as this. Number one, engage in conversations with people of different skin colors and listen carefully. Just leave that up there, guys. Engage in conversations. A conversation goes both ways. We have to speak and we have to listen. And if I might say so myself, some of us, many of us, most of us should learn to listen better than we speak. My dad, who is not a Christian, and I'm still praying for him, and I hope you'll pray for him with me. He did say some good things growing up. He said, boy, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen more than you speak. That's a good challenging word for a preacher. <laughs> Engage in conversations. When was the last time? Come on, come on, come on. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody of a different skin color about these issues. Wow, let, let, let that silence just settle. I'm serious. When was the last time you sat down at the table of brotherhood or sisterhood and talked to a Latino or an African American or a Caucasian or a Pacific Islander or an Asian, and actually just listened to their story. Asked probing questions, and then put the shut to the up, and listen. We'd change the world if we just did that alone. Number two, I told you I'm going to keep it moving. I, don't, I, don't, I want to wrap it up. Number two. Don't just attend a multi-ethnic church, hello, but live a multi-ethnic life. I mean, we all love our church at all of our campuses. We love the diversity of our church. Can I get an amen? amen. But I'm calling you new hope. It's kind of related to number one, but it's different. I'm calling you to not just Attend a multi-ethnic church so that you can pull out of all of our parking lots and say, "Woohoo! I attend a diverse church. What if we lived multi-ethnic lives? Have you ever had someone of a different skin color at your dining room table? 
Have you ever had someone of a different skin color spend the night at your house? What if, what if New Hope just didn't go to a multi-ethnic church? What if we lived a multi-ethnic life? What if we actually looked at our young people and instead of criticizing them all the time, actually realized they're getting this one right? And that our young people can teach us a lot about how to live a multi-ethnic life. Thirdly, this is, this, is, this is big. This is the final one, but this is, the others are just as big. This, the, if you put these three together, we'll be there, church. We'll get there. Invest and invite people of different skin colors to attend the multi-ethnic movement of New Hope. Like, get intentional about this one. I do this all the time. Like, I invite anybody to church, you might imagine. But man, when I invite somebody who has a different skin color than me, I invite them and then, steal my language if you want, I almost always say this. Man, you're going to love our church. You're going to love our church because it's thousands and thousands and thousands of young people, old people, rich people, poor people, and all kinds of skin color. And when you do that, guess what? They light up. Because they realize, oh, I might, I might fit there. I might feel welcome there. Listen, I don't know if I've ever said this to you. You know what people are asking when they show up at any of our campuses? You know what they're asking? Is there a place for me there? Is there a place for me there? So I'm going to wrap up. I want, us to, I want us to just look at those three points of application one more time. I want us to read them out loud together, and then we're going to sing something over you that is going to blow your mind. But I want us to read these out loud. May I saw a lot of you writing them down, so you wrote them down. If you didn't quite get them, write them down. Ready? Go. Engage in conversations with people of different skin color and... Great job, church. Number two, all of our campuses. Don't just attend our multi-ethnic church, but live a multi-ethnic life. And number three, ready, go. Invest and invite people of different skin colors to attend the multi-ethnic movement of new hope. Let the people of God say amen. So if you haven't seen this movie, I, I don't endorse a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies. I'm a movie buff, but I don't endorse a lot. But here's, here's one you need to see if you haven't seen it. It's, it's, on, it's on Netflix now, DVD, all that. You don't have to go to the theater, save you some money. You want to see this. Trust me, you want to watch this movie. It is called The Showman. The Showman. It's about the Barnum and Bailey Circus. That, you know, the greatest show on earth that went out of business last year. That one. It's a show about P.T. Barnum. And there's this theme song that runs throughout the movie, and then it's hit the radio, and it just, it's gotten really, really big. 
And as I sat in the showman with my wife and I heard this theme song, it's a musical, by the way. And by the way, I don't like musicals. Like some of you like turned me off right away because you know it's a musical. I don't like musical movies. My wife loves musical movies. I can't stand musical movies. Sometimes they sing way too much in musical movies. You know what I'm saying? I can tell I got my people out there. You're with me. This is not like that. This is not like that. This, 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 is, this is a great, great movie. And the theme song, though, that runs throughout, when I sat in the theater and I heard the theme song, the Spirit of God said, you need to do that at New Hope Church during the Preacher King. And the theme song is titled, This Is Me. This Is Me. And part of what it means to grow in your Christian faith is to realize that regardless of the pigmentation in your skin, regardless of your socioeconomic level, regardless of what school you graduated from or not, and regardless of what side of the tracks you grew up on, part of maturing in the faith is to realize God created you. And he loves you. And God, as a good old southern pastor said with a double negative, God don't make no junk. He created you. In fact, the Bible says he formed you in your mother's womb. So again, part of maturing in the Christian faith, listen to me, is to be able to stand before God. To be able to lift your head towards the light of the world. To be able to lift your head from embarrassment and shame and all the stuff people's been trying to push you down. To be able to lift your head before all of God's people. Say this. This is me. This is who God has created me to be. Beautiful. Beautifully Diverse. God made you just like you are, and God doesn't make any junk. So you get ready, and I'm going to pray us into this. You do not want to head for the doors. Father God, we love you today. We thank you that you are creator God. Father, we thank you that you have been with us throughout this series. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has been in this place. And Father God, I pray that as we go into this moment and we stand in your divine delight of who we are, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall and that the people of God would sense that you love them. You knew what you were doing when you created each and every person within the sound of my voice. And Father, I know that even as I pray, there are people making excuses for why they shouldn't like themselves. God, we have this tendency in the 21st century, forgive us, God, of comparing the normalcy of our lives, the drudgery of our lives with other people's highlight reels on social media. On top of that, God, we live in a country where many folks have been pushed down and still to this day, they're pushed down due to the color of their skin. God, we have many folks, it's just sheer nature of who we are as human beings, God, that we struggle with our self-worth, 
We struggle with self-image issues. God, would you do that which I cannot do? As we wrap this series up and we grow to love all people, would we grow to love ourselves? Would we be able to lift our heads, Father God, look fully into your wonderful face and realize I am who you made me to be. I am a beloved, beloved child of the Most High God. This is me. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said together, Amen.